How was our Christmas? Good? Yeah, yeah, we had a, we had a good time. It is nice to see so many friends that I know are, have traveled here to be with family. Um, so definitely welcome to those of you that are joining us. Um, worship team, thank you for that worship this morning. That was uh, truly inspiring and spot on to prepare us for what it is that I believe that God would have for us this morning. Before we begin, I do want to make kind of a disclaimer. Um, I'm not going to do the sermon that I had prepared for. It was about Friday afternoon, Friday, <laughs> Friday night, I realized that what I had been prepping over the last couple of weeks just really wasn't the direction. It really wasn't going to fit the feel that I wanted to make for this morning. So don't discard your sermon notes and outlines just yet. Don't make paper airplanes out of them or anything. Because I do believe that you'll be able to still take those home with you this week and as your next step and be able to prayerfully consider the points that are in your sermon outlines uh, throughout this week. So don't discard them just yet. In just a few minutes, I'm going to get you to use your imaginations to go on a tour with Jesus Christ. I really believe that you're going to be convicted, challenged, and encouraged by what God has for you today. But before we get into it, I do ask that you kind of set aside your expectations of what your normal kind of a sermon experience might be. We won't be spending tons of time in the Bible. In fact, we're only going to cover one verse. Um, but I truly believe that this is going to be an enlightening experience for you. These last few weeks, we've been engaged in a sermon series called God Came Near. We've seen how God has been relentless reckless, all-consuming, overwhelming in his pursuit of us, wanting to be in relationship with us from Adam and Eve in the garden to the delivery of the law and to the prophets. But with each attempt, God's people ended up reverting to old ways and to new distractions and desires. So then we discovered how God decided that he would come to us in the person of Jesus, and he actually lived with us, among us, and taught us and showed us how we were supposed to live with each other. And ultimately, we know that his death would come to mean that we would no longer have to face punishment for our sins. Today, we're going to finish this series by examining what it means that God has given us the Holy Spirit. I've just given us this Holy Spirit ghost thing that's kind of around us, yes, but actually resides inside of us. In our culture today, I think we're more polarized than we've ever been. Maybe you would agree with that or not. Do you know that depression and anxiety plague many of us? And that in our culture here in America, uh, for the last two years, life expectation has actually declined instead of going up. First time in 100 years that's happened. But how can that be? I know we're in this kind of post-Christian world, post-Christian nation, but we're still a nation full of Christians, right? Should we not be increasing in hope instead of finding less and less of it? In his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan writes about the fact that the Holy Spirit is often neglected and forgot about in the church today, and that there's some serious implications with that. He mentions, the world is not moved by love or actions that are of a human creation, 
And the church is not empowered to live differently from other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different. And the world cannot help but notice. And if it's true that the Spirit of God dwells in us, and our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of the living God and the one that does not? Our scripture verse for today is Galatians 5.25, and I'm going to read it from the message uh, paraphrase. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit Let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but we actually work out what it means in every detail of our lives. But as an individual Christian, what do we do with this? What does that mean? What's the application? How do we grow spiritually in this? The receiving end of this thought is that the believer is to more fully make their hearts Christ's home. So for the next big chunk of our day uh, today, I'm going to invite you to put your Bibles down, relax, and listen to some excerpts from a book titled, My Heart, Christ's Home. Maybe some of you have heard of it, maybe you haven't. It's a very small book, very easy read. The author, Robert Munger, lays out uh, this walk of a brand new Christian and all of his excitement at first, inviting Christ into his heart and everything that that meant initially for him. Um, But also, kind of how scary that can be and how things went from this giddy joy and excitement that a lot of us as Christians face when we first came to the knowledge of Christ and we first realized that Jesus was living inside of us to the fact that life happens and things kind of start to fade. So as I read this, I'm going to ask you to put yourself into the story. I want to ask you to reflect on these items as we go from room to room on this tour that you yourself might be struggling with as well. One evening, I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It, wasn't, uh, it was not a spectacular emotional thing, but still very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness. He filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I've never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. The first room was the study, the library. In my home, this room is the mind 
and it's a very small room with very thick walls. But it is a very important room. In a sense, this is the control room of the house. He entered with me and looked around at all the books and the bookcase and the magazines on the table and the pictures on the walls. And as I followed his gaze, I began to feel uncomfortable. Strangely, I had not felt self-conscious about this before. But now that he was there, looking at these things, I was embarrassed. Some books were there that his eyes were too pure to behold. On the table were some magazines that a Christian had no business reading. As for the pictures on the walls, the imitations and thoughts of my mind, some of them were actually shameful. Red-faced, I turned to him and I said, Master, I, I know this room needs to be cleaned up and made over. Uh, can you help me with that? Can you help make it what it needs to be? Of course, he said. I'm glad to help you. First of all, take all the things that you're reading and looking at that aren't helpful or pure or good and true and just throw them out. Now, on the empty space on your bookshelves, put the books of the Bible. Fill your library with scripture and meditate it on it day and night. As for the pictures on the walls, you're going to have difficulty controlling these images. But I have something that will help you. He gave me a full-sized portrait of himself, and he said, hang this central on the wall of the mind. I did, and I have discovered through the years that when my thoughts are centered upon Christ himself, his purity and power cause impure thoughts to back away. So he has helped me to bring my thoughts under his control. From the study, we went to the dining room, the room of appetites and desires. I spent a lot of time and hard work here trying to satisfy my wants. I said to him, this is my favorite room, and I'm quite sure you'll be pleased with what we serve here. He seated himself at the table and asked, what's on the menu for dinner? Well, I said, my favorite dish is, of course, money, academic degrees, stocks, newspaper articles, and fame and fortune are the side dishes. These were the things that I liked, any kind of secular fare. When the food was placed before him, he said nothing, but I observed that he did not eat it. I said to him, Master, don't you care for the food? What's the trouble? He answered, I have food to eat that you do not know of. If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of the Father. Stop seeking your own pleasures, desires, and satisfaction. Seek to please him. This food will satisfy you. There at the table, he gave me a taste of the joy of doing God's will. What flavor it had. There is no food like it in all the world, and it alone has satisfied me. From the dining room, we walked into the living room. This room was intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. He said, this indeed is a delightful room. Let us come here often. It's secluded, quiet, and we can fellowship together. Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do than have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised me that he would be there early every morning to meet me, and we would start each day together. 
So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room. He would take a book of the Bible from the case. We would open it and read it together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truths. My heart sang. My heart sang as he shared the love and the grace that he had towards me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. I'm not quite sure why. I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Christ. This wasn't intentional, you understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. I remember one morning rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way, and I passed the living room and just noticed the open door. Looking in, I saw the fire in the fireplace and Jesus sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, I thought, he's my guest. I invited him into my heart. He's come as my savior and friend, but I'm neglecting him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With a downcast glance, I said, Master, forgive me, but have you been here all these mornings? Yeah, I told you, I'd be here every morning to meet with you. Remember how much I love you. I've redeemed you at such a great cost. I value your fellowship. And even if you can't keep quiet time for your own sake, do it for mine. The truth that Christ desires my companionship, that he wants me to be with him and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your hearts. But every day, find time when, with your Bible and in prayer, you may be together with him. Before long, he asked, do you have a workroom in your home? Out in the garage of the home of my heart, I had a workbench and some equipment, but I wasn't doing much with it. Once in a while, I would play around with a few little gadgets, but I wasn't really producing anything substantial. I led him out there. He looked over the workbench and said, this is quite well furnished. What are you producing with your life for the kingdom of God? He looked at one or two little toys that I had thrown together uh, on the bench and held them up to me. Is this the sort of thing that you're doing for others in your Christian life? Well, I said, I know it isn't much, and I really do want to do more, but I just don't have the strength or the skill. Would you like to do better? He asked. Certainly, I replied. All right, let me have your hands. Now relax in me and let my spirit work through you. I know that you're unskilled, clumsy, and awkward, but the Holy Spirit is the master workman. And if he controls your hands and your heart, he will work through you. Stepping around behind me and putting his great strong hands underneath mine, he held the tools in his skilled fingers and began to work through me. The more I relaxed, and trusted him, the more he was able to do with my life. Then he asked me if I had a rec room, where I went for fun and fellowship. I was hoping he wouldn't ask about that room. 
there were certain associations and activities that I wanted to keep for myself. One evening, when I was on my way out to meet some friends, he stopped me with a glance and asked, Oh, you're going out? Yes, I replied. Great. I want to come with you. Ugh. Oh, I answered rather awkwardly. I don't think, Jesus, that you're going to enjoy where we're going. This isn't your thing. This isn't your scene. We'll go out together tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, there's a Bible class at church. But tonight, I got a different kind of an appointment. I'm sorry, he said. I thought that when I came into your home, we were actually going to be doing everything together. That we were going to be close companions. I just want you to know that I am willing to go with you. Well, I mumbled, slipping out the door. We'll go someplace together tomorrow. That evening, I spent some miserable hours. I felt rotten. What kind of a friend was I to Jesus, deliberately leaving him out of my life, doing things and going places that I knew very well he wouldn't enjoy? Well, I returned that evening, and the light was still on in his room, as it always is, and I went up to talk it over with him. I said, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I now know that I can't have a good time without you. From now on, we can do everything together. Then we went down into the rec room of the house, and he transformed it. He brought new friends, new excitements, new joys. Laughter and music had been ringing through the house ever since. One day I found him waiting for me at the door. An arresting look was in his eyes. As I entered, he said to me, there's a particular odor in this house. Something must be dead around here. I think it's upstairs. I think it's in that locked closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. There was a small closet up there in the hall landing. Just a few feet square, not very big. In that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I didn't want anyone to know about. Certainly, I didn't want Christ to see them. I knew that they were dead and rotting things that had been left over from my old life. I wanted them for myself. I was afraid to admit that they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with him and As we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger, and he pointed to the door. I was angry. I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to everything, the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the rec room. And now he wants me to worry about just a little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. You're not getting the key for me. It's not happening. Well, he said, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I'll just go out and stay on the porch from now on. Then I saw him start down the stairs. When one comes to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense a withdrawal of his fellowship from us. I had to give in. Okay, okay, I'll give you the key. But you're going to have to open the closet and clean it out. 
I don't have the strength to do it myself. Just give me the key, he said. Authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. With trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it, walked over to the door, opened it, entered, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there and threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet and even painted it. It was done in a moment's time. What victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. A thought came to me. Lord, is there any chance that you would just take over the management of the whole house and operate for me the way that you did the closet? Would you just go ahead and take the responsibility to keep my life what it ought to be? His face lit up and replied, I'd love to. That's what I want to do. You can't be victorious in this life under your own strength. Let me do it through you and for you. That's the way. But he added slowly, "Ah, I'm just a guest. I actually don't have any authority to proceed because this is your property and not mine. Dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you have been a guest and I have been the host. But from now on, I'm going to be the servant. You will be the owner and the master. Running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, location and situation. I eagerly signed the house over to him alone for all of time and eternity. Here I said, here it is, all that I am and have forever. Now you run the house, and I'll just remain with you as a servant and friend. Things are different now since Jesus Christ has settled down and made his home my heart. Can you relate to this story? What rooms of your house hold items that you would be ashamed of or worried about Jesus seeing? Life has a way especially in our culture, of running things for us. If we aren't careful, we can wake up one day and realize that all of this time has passed. We hadn't actually given the Holy Spirit full control of our lives. We only gave him control and access to the parts of our lives that were convenient to us and easy to do. After all, what do we really need the Spirit to empower us to do in this life? If we're thirsty, we go to the kitchen and press a button and we get water. We have large fridges filled with food, and when that food runs out, we simply hop in our cars, drive a few minutes to a grocery store, and buy more things. When we're bored and need to be filled with entertainment, we have TV, we have our gaming systems, we have our cell phones, we have the internet. What do we actually depend on the Holy Spirit for in our lives? What do we actually need the Holy Spirit for in our lives? Because apparently, culture seems to provide us with everything that we need. I really uh, recently realized how much I had fallen victim to these same realities. When a group of us went to the Christ in the Desert Monastery uh, earlier this month, uh, Dave and a couple of others of us uh, went there. It's the same monastery he went to before his sabbatical. And I was really looking forward to this trip but I didn't have any kind of specific expectation other than the fact that 
I just wanted to hear God differently, in a new way. Kind of getting bored with the day today. It took me a whole day to detox from all the screen time and noise that I'd been accustomed to. I actually got pretty upset that first day because I felt like there were others in the group that almost immediately just upon being there were able to settle in and kind of get to this wrestling with God, whatever it was they were there to do. But not for me. So I went to bed that night almost in tears on the first day just because I didn't understand. But over those next few days, God actually did speak. And it was loud and clear. He reminded me that he had always been there, living inside of me, just waiting for me. I didn't have to run off to spend a week with some monks in a desert to find him. I just needed to take a second as I was rushing out my door each morning to turn left and see that he was sitting there in the living room waiting for me, just like he had always promised to do. You see, I have a habit of living life as a a checklist, just tasks that I check off each day. And I kind of judge my day by the amount of check marks that I was able to accomplish. I realized that my life had just become check marks on a list. Even in my work here at Grace, I had replaced intimate time with God with the work for God that I'm doing. God showed me that indeed I was doing work for him, but that what he desired was that I would just live my life, every aspect of it, with him. This is how God has been pursuing us through history. From the first words in this Bible to the last words in this Bible. God's overwhelming, all-consuming, reckless love has been calling out to each of us. This, I believe, he wants us all to hear as we say goodbye to 2018 and say hello to 2019. Can you go from room to room in your home with Jesus and trust him to take care of the things that we can't, to clean up those old rotting things that we try to hold on to? Can we run full force into 2019 with that supernatural, no one can ignore it kind of life that Francis Chan mentioned in his book? Can we help turn the tide in our communities of increasing anxiety and depression and hopelessness because we are living our lives with the knowledge that the living God resides in us and with us? And if we would just allow him to work through us, we can truly change the world. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we come to a close today, I just thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you've been pursuing us throughout history. God, we're sorry that even though you've been making it abundantly clear to us since creation that you want and desire relationship with us, that we found other things to occupy our time, other things to love, other things to desire. 
God, will you fill us with your spirit? Will you help us run full speed into 2019 with the confidence and the knowledge that you are there with us and release us of any burden that we feel like we have to do it our own because we have the academic degrees or we have some tasks that we need to check off our list. God, help us surrender every part of our life, every little detail, even the smallest of closets, to you. In Jesus' name, amen.